Get ready to hear some noise tonight. You're about to go behind enemy lines with the original Blues Hockey Podcast. Let's go Blues Radio. This is Let's Go Blues Radio, Behind Enemy Lines. I'm your host, Jeff Ponder. This is Season 8, Episode 27, Franchise Episode number 213. Thanks to the Wild and Free for the use of their song, Fire, Tom Calhoun. Big thanks to him as well for doing the open there, paguytom.com. Also want to throw another thank you out to Jeremy Boyer for uh, the use of uh, his organ classic, Gloria. Yes, Gloria, originally Laura Brannigan, but uh, Jeremy provides the sound that you hear for Keep the Party Going. Good stuff. Jeremy Boyer, check him out on YouTube. He's the blues organist. Does a great job. Also, check out the letsgoblues.com shop and consider buying yourself a reasonably priced shirt, mug, or sticker. Uh, All proceeds go back into the show. Also, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. You can also listen at letsgobluesradio.com. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, or if your podcast outlet allows reviews, please do that, and uh, it helps people find the show. So thank you to those who've done that. Well, I hope you all enjoyed the, uh, the last episode, the San Jose Sharks episode. That is clearly going to be the longest one of the summer. We've only got five left of this series. Hard to believe that uh, this summer has gone by so quick. Uh, for me, definitely, but I think for everybody. Again, this is the shortest offseason the Blues have ever had, and uh, it's it's apparent. It's it's so weird. It's uh, At this point, I'm usually jonesing for hockey, which, I mean, I am. I still am. It's just, uh, it's different. It just feels different with the season starting because it, it really feels like it still just ended like last week. It, it just doesn't feel like hockey season should be right around the corner. So, uh, and it's here. I mean, preseason uh, is starting and training camps have opened. I mean, it's it's here. We're, we're in hockey season, folks, and it's, it's kind of hard to believe. Well, with hockey season coming, we're still going to be partying because uh, the Blues are Stanley Cup champions in case you were unaware, and I think... It's important that we remember that as we talk to our guest Slater uh, from the team that we'll be discussing. Uh, but hey, you know what? Before we do that, let's keep the party going. So this is typically where I read an email from you, the listener, and uh, we talk about uh, you know whatever it is you want to talk about, about being a Blues fan, how this championship has affected you personally, uh, and you know how you've been celebrating this summer. Uh, it's, it's, you know, whatever you want to talk about. And guess what, folks? We have an email today, so you don't have to hear me ramble and do some stupid flashback that nobody 
uh, thinks is funny, except me. I find it funny. Uh, yeah, so we're going to get into an email here, and uh, before I read it, I should mention that if you would like to participate and keep the party going, we only have, what, four episodes left? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. After this one, we only have four episodes left. We got Coyotes, Capitals, Blue Jackets, and Jets. And, uh, yeah, then that's the end of the Behind Enemy Lines series. So I have another email after this one for the next show. So that leaves three episodes. So I need three more emails, people. Uh, let's let's uh, fill these up so you don't have to hear me uh, with my, my slapstick comedy flashback routine. Uh, this is this is fun. It's fun to hear from you guys. So go ahead and email in. Again, that's radio at letsgoblues.com. Radio at letsgoblues.com. Well, our email today comes from Rick, and he's been all over the globe, but it looks like right now he's in Memphis, and I think that's where he's staying. So uh, we'll call him Rick from Memphis. Rick says, my name is Rick. I've been a listener for over a year now and just want to say thank you and the rest of the LGB radio uh, crew for your hard work and great coverage on this amazing past season. In a short amount of time, I've learned so much about the team's history and current ongoings. My Blues fandom is relatively young. I was born in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and grew up as a Flyers fan. Scranton, isn't that, uh, that's, that's where the office takes place. This might be Dwight, folks. My dad would tell me stories about watching the Broad Street Bullies and seeing the Flyers win their cups. We moved to Shreveport, Louisiana, and had to learn how to follow hockey in the Deep South. I'm going to go ahead and break off here again. I have a friend uh, that lived in Shreveport for a short while, and uh, yeah, he said uh, he found an ice hockey league that he could play in, and that was about it in terms of hockey. Uh, there was no hockey talk, nothing, so... I, I personally can't feel your pain, Rick, but uh, I have a friend that does, and he has definitely expressed that to me. So, yeah, I, I can imagine that's probably pretty tough following hockey in Shreveport. He goes on and says, We actually had a CHL minor league team, the Shreveport Bossier Mudbugs, that my dad would take me to see every chance he got. He would do anything he could to get me as close to the ice as he could, which as a kid was always amazing. Hockey was what, bond, what we bonded over. After a few years of living in Louisiana, my dad was diagnosed with cirrhosis and liver failure and had to get a liver transplant. His illness made it to where we couldn't attend hockey games anymore, among other things. The minor league team soon folded, and my dad always felt guilty that he wasn't able to take me to see the last bit of games I later found out. When they left Shreveport and I got older, we stopped talking about hockey and following it all together. I did my best to keep up with the Flyers, but obviously that was difficult living in Louisiana. I went to college and got a job in Memphis, Tennessee, and decided I wanted to go back into hockey, but go all in and be able to attend games and watch it in person like I did as a kid. I lived around only Predators fans and found them all annoying and pompous, which isn't my style as a sports fan. The next closest team was St. Louis. Me and my wife went to a game in March of 2018 against the Avalanche and had a blast. She had never been before and fell in love immediately with the speed and all-around hockey environment. I was all in on the Blues. We got a season ticket plan and made it up for every game we could this past season, making the four-hour drive north on I-55 regularly. The last game me and my wife attended was Game 4 of the Western Conference Finals and honestly was one of the most incredible sporting events to witness in person. 
My wife and I watched every Stanley Cup Finals game together and celebrated like we've been Blues fans for our entire life. As a newer Blues fan, I obviously can't imagine what you and the rest of the city of St. Louis suffered through since the team's founding, but I just want to say watching the Blues win the Cup was an absolutely amazing ride from the time I decided to follow the team and attend games. As I started going to games last season, my dad and I reconnected about hockey. He would watch the games that I went to and would call me later asking about what he saw and what it was like to be there. Me and my wife actually just moved back to Shreveport, Louisiana. So he is Rick from Shreveport, Louisiana, to be closer to my dad as he gets older but already are planning to see the Blues play in Dallas in February and catch a game at the Enterprise Center in March. Without the Blues, me and my dad would not have reconnected our love of hockey and I will be forever grateful for them and their Stanley Cup run. Thank you all for this podcast and for everything you do. Let's go Blues. Rick uh, from Shreveport, Louisiana. And he says, sorry for the length of this email. I just want to point out, you're probably thinking, like, don't you read these ahead of time? Yes, I do. But uh, obviously, as I read these, I, I, I recall the part about Memphis uh, when it came in. So I instantly associated him with Rick from Memphis, but obviously he is Rick from Shreveport. Uh, so he's back in Shreveport. Uh, and yeah, not a lot of hockey down there. When my buddy was living in Dallas, I'm sorry, living in Shreveport, I was living in Dallas. And he came out for a couple games, and uh, that was always fun. But yeah, he, he said it was it was impossible to, to follow hockey. So very cool that uh, you and your dad were able to connect over this. And it's funny that I read this email on this show as a somewhat newer fan emails in and says, yeah, I don't really know about, you know, your past suffering. You're going to find out a lot about it in this episode. Uh, the, the Detroit Red Wings, I would say, honestly, caused probably, maybe it's the era I grew up in, but they caused most of the heartache for me as a Blues fan. Uh, and I think a lot of Blues fans would agree with that. Obviously, the early days of the Blackhawks, you know, they, they were a, a big one. The Bruins, the Canadians in the really early days. Uh, but, man, Red Wings, that's the team. Like, you know, every time the Blues had a team that we thought was going to go all the way, the Red Wings always stood in their way. Always. I mean, the only time that really didn't happen was 2000 and 2001 uh, when they lost to the Sharks and then the next year lost to the uh, Avalanche in the West Final. Every other heartbreaking loss seems like it came at the hands of the Red Wings. So, good one to email in on, Rick. And, um... Yeah, you're about to learn about a lot of the heartache, so uh, stay tuned. And don't worry, it's not going to be as long as the San Jose Sharks episode. This one's, uh, a, this one's a lot shorter. But hey, again, those Sharks guys are great. We love the Teal Town guys, so thanks again for them coming on. Uh, I'm sure you guys will be hearing from them again this season as we have them on again, uh, probably at least once or twice throughout the year. And hopefully if they meet in the playoffs, we'll have them on again. Well, let's get into the guests for this episode. Ryan, Brad, and Evan from the Winged Wheel Podcast. I was really kind of nervous about this one. And it sounds so stupid uh, going into this series. And, and, and when they were the ones I contacted, and they right away were like, yeah, let's do that. That sounds like fun. I, I was like, man, I I don't want to talk to Red Wings fans about the Iserman goal. I don't want to talk about Tomas Holmstrom I don't want to talk about my hatred for that franchise. Um, but again, with the Blues winning the Cup, it did make it a little easier. We recorded this just a couple weeks ago on uh, uh, August 14th. So um, this was obviously well after the Blues had won the Cup. So that made it a little easier. 
Plus, honestly, these guys are real cool. Got along with them really well. Had a great conversation. It wasn't all, you know, because they're, you got to think about it now. While maybe we would have hated these guys, you know, 10 years ago, they're going through a lot right now with their Red Wings. Uh, they are not a fun team to watch. So um, it's, you know, the, the the script has definitely flipped for Blues and Red Wings fans. So, you know, they, they could easily have come in all high and mighty. But but I think after witnessing what their team has done for the past, you know, uh, a year, two, two years, three years, uh, kind of makes you a little more humbling. But I would not doubt that these guys were fantastic even before the Red Wings sucked because uh, we had a great talk about uh, just Blues and, and Red Wings in general, and uh, these guys really seem like they, they know and understand the game and the intricacies of the game and basically why teams hated them in the, uh, in the 90s and 2000s. So without further ado, here's my talk with Ryan, Brad, and Evan from the Winged Wheel podcast. Today on Let's Go Blues Radio Behind Enemy Lines, we are talking Detroit Red Wings. I'm uh, joined by a couple guys from the Winged Wheel podcast, but we will get to them in a minute. Uh, first, I want to go over a couple stats. Surprisingly, the St. Louis Blues have an all-time record in 285 games played, 124, 114, 37, and 10. So, yes, you heard that right. The Blues actually have a winning record against the Red Wings. Uh, you got to figure a lot of those probably came in the 70s and 80s. Uh, but even then, you think uh, 90s and 2000s and you're kind of shocked the Blues, uh, even though it was only 10 games, still over 500. And keep in mind, the 37 was uh, ties. The 10 is overtime losses. First meeting between these teams came on October 22nd, 1967. That was in Detroit. That was one of the Blues' first games. Uh, that was a one nothing loss uh, at the hands of the Red Wings. Uh, the Blues, their first franchise hat trick came in Detroit on November 3rd, 1968. Camille Henry had three goals in a 4-4 tie. And then uh, one game that I know a lot of people listening to the show will remember, and even the guests probably remember this one, Vladimir Tarasenko's first NHL game came on January 19th, 2013, versus the Red Wings. He had two goals in a 6 nothing Blues triumph. And, of course, that was uh, that was right after Stan the Man Usual had died in St. Louis. That was a very big game for, uh, for St. Louis. And, of course, the opening of uh, Vladimir Tarasenko's career in St. Louis. So that was a memorable memorable game there. Uh, this is where I want to welcome in my guests, Ryan Hanna, Brad Crisco, and Evan Lobsinger from the Winged Wheel Podcast. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Hello. Thanks so, for starting off with uh, beating down on the Red Wings. That's kind of yeah, yeah. The the flex on the all time record, and then just reminding us of Vladimir Tarasenko <laughs> absolutely walking Kyle Quincy in that game, which gives me flashbacks that we had Kyle Quincy for an extended period of time. Yeah, that you know, I remember even thinking at that time, I thought, man, Kyle Quincy, like, what is he doing on the Red Wings? They're they're better than that. Oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> we traded. We technically traded Andre Vasilevsky for him. Oh my lord! Oh yeah. Do you guys want to know the tone of the Winged Wheel podcast for the past two years? <laughs> we'll no right kidding. Yeah, the first uh, round pick that ended up being moved to Tampa Bay, uh, Steve Eiserman, uh, then GM of the Lightning, obviously uh, turned that into Andre Vasilevsky. Holy cow! I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, oh, we remember wow. vividly. Well, you know, you guys say that we started this show off with uh, some beat down on the Red Wings. Don't worry. Throughout the show, 
you're going to hear me get more and more depressed as we talk about Blues. And We're Red better Wings. at beating on the Red Wings than anybody <laughs> <laughs> lately. Um, yeah, I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know, obviously the the Red Wings is passed with the Blues. I mean, you think about the playoffs and. Um, you know, we're going to talk about a couple of these uh, memorable games, memorable nights between these two teams. But um, let me ask you guys, because this is always a conversation. The Red Wings come to town whenever the Blues go to Detroit uh, now with uh, how the Red Wings have moved on. They're in the Eastern Conference. Plus, as you guys are saying, not as good as they used to be. So, um, you know, a lot of teams kind of, you know, are looking past them at who's next in the schedule at this point. Um and I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just saying that, you know, as you know, that's just how it is. The Blues were there for a while. Um, do you still, like, whenever there's a Blues game or even, like, a Blackhawks game or a Predators game, is it – do you still kind of feel like there's, like, okay, they, this is a big game. Let's win this. Or do you think – is it just, like, another Tuesday game for you? All right, Jeff, I'm going to level with you. I genuinely do miss the Blues rivalry with Detroit being in the central division and facing off against the Blackhawks and facing off against the blues. Um, even the Preds back in the day, like that, that was, that was the height of like the true, the Red Wings rivalries that I grew up with. I want that to be there with St. Louis, but if I'm going to be candid, like the only team that I really hold over from in the central that I want Detroit to win, whether we're cheering for the tank or, or it's a throwaway season or whatever is the, the Blackhawks with the blues. It's yeah. just not there. And like, you can only get beaten down by Vladimir Tarasenko so many times before you give up, right? Yeah, I hear you. No, and, and that's that's kind of the conversation here too. Like I said, it's it's funny because you know a couple of years ago I um, had went around the arena and actually asked fans when I was in the uh, in the media, you know, is this still a rivalry? And and there was even a couple of people just two three years ago who said, well, why would it be a rivalry? And I'm like, you you are a new fan, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. It's yep. a padded bandwidth. Don't worry. Yep. Yes, it is. So, um, as I mentioned, uh, lots of lots of playoffs meetings between these teams. Uh, the last one, the Blues won, was in 1991. That was when they came back from a 3-1 series deficit to win in Game 7. <laughs> this was Sergei Fedorov's rookie year. Uh, Brett Hall, Adam Oates had some big, uh, big, uh, big games there, and a lot of people would say that that was one of the best Blues teams to ever take the ice, they ended up losing to the North Stars in the division finals. Uh, but um, I know that uh, none of us really remember that. But I, I just want to point out the Blues have beat the Red Wings in the playoffs before we get into it. Um, so, again, I mean, 96, 97, 98, 2002, just constantly the Red Wings were always standing in the Blues' way. And so, again, when you talk about the rivalry between these two teams, even back then, I would talk to, to Red Wings fans and Red Wings media and say, what's the rivalry like in Detroit? And a lot of people would say, well, it's not really a rivalry because the Red Wings are always winning. Is is that how everyone felt? Or is that just uh, you know a couple people just flexing their muscles at me? I think one component of that is because the Colorado rivalry eclipsed the the St. St. Louis rivalry at that time. So I think that might be why a lot of people don't really recall it as fiercely as maybe a St. Louis Blues fan would. Yeah, because some of those series, like that 96 series is one of the greatest series of all time, especially with the way it ended. Sorry to rub that in. Um, But (laughs) getting to the point Evan was making, 
the Red Wings Avalanche rivalry might be the most heated rivalry in the NHL in the last 30 years. So Red Wings fans from about 96 to about 2003, no other teams existed to us. It was just, when are we going to get to Colorado? Are we going to get past Colorado? And then who's the formality for us to beat in the finals? That's pretty much where Red Wings fans were at at that point in time, because that rivalry was so off the charts. So there was a lot of good sub rivalries Detroit had in that period that just got overlooked because of the monster that was the avalanche. Yeah. That reminds me of uh, one of my favorite hockey quotes of all time. Uh, It was after a fight Chris Osgood had with uh, Patrick Watt. I'm sure you guys know where I'm going. And he said, I just wish he'd pick on someone his own size. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that I will admit, man, those, those red wings and avalanche brawls, those were fun to watch. I, uh, those are some of my best, my best memories. Yeah, I, I watch that once a month. You are hard-pressed to find a Red Wings fan you're old who doesn't know the exact script of how all of those nights Everybody are. remembers Fight Night at the gym. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. A very, slept very on, well. a very slept-on brawl was the year that Detroit won the Cup. Uh, and when they went through the Blues in 02, was that brawl, I think it was in January, where Hashi went all the way to the ice and then slipped. Oh yeah, he yeah. just fell into the crease. Yeah, I, that one was honestly that was entertaining. I, I remember I, that. That year was also like mystical as a Red Wings fan. You're like the magic is still there when, when that happened. I mean, I'm, we didn't really get a good goalie fight out of it, but still, it was. Uh, we overlooked that one a lot as Red Wings fans, but that was there, especially considering Detroit did end up going all the way to the cup. But I know I'm skipping ahead here, all the way to two on you. Oh no, it's fine. We uh I like I told you guys off air, this is uh there's too much to just go through and say, okay, let's talk about ninety six, let's talk about ninety seven. All is uh, I, I want to do this more in a whole because uh, I feel like blues fans will just start tuning out after about fifteen minutes. So uh, <laughs> let's uh let's not just focus on every series. Let's uh let's break it up because there's there's a lot of uh people who <laughs> it's funny, every even the uh the guy I talked to for the LA Kings, uh, Eddie Garcia of the Puck Podcast, he started talking about how the Red Wings kind of stood in their way, and I just I laughed at him. And I'm like, "Come on, man, you're talking to a Blues guy here," and uh, <laughs> and he's just like, "Yeah, good luck recording that episode." It's funny. <laughs> this is cruel to the Kings, but when you talk about teams that the Red Wings know that they've trounced, we never think that we stood in the way of the Kings. I mean, Kings yeah. were kind of problematic for us that one year. Yeah, what was oh, that? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yep, that was 2003. Yep. No, no, no. Three was Ducks. 04 was the Kings. Was it 04 was the Kings? I think. The year, like, yeah, they beat us from absolutely no business. Yeah. So the, uh, I think I remember that. So I almost feel bad that Kings fans think of the Red Wings as, like, someone who's in their way, and the Red Wings are just like John Hamm in the elevator saying, oh, I don't think what you was all, at all. <laughs> <laughs> Good John Hamm reference. That'll that'll get Blues fans to like you. Congratulations. Oh, I wasn't even intentional. That's good. Look at <laughs> I'm fitting right in. <laughs> Ryan, buddy. You are. Going. You are. <laughs> okay, but so uh, Eiserman or uh, Gretzky had it, lost it. Eiserman picks up the puck. How, like, is that a taboo? Like, you say that and someone slams their fist down the bar and someone else breaks a glass and someone else storms out cursing. Is it that bad in St. Louis? Or are you guys, have you just completely repressed it? Like, how horrible is that memory for you? I will I will tell you that, and I'm not even kidding when I say this, that ever since the Blues won a couple months ago, um, whenever I think of that 
goal, I uh, I do have to literally say out loud to myself, hey, the Blues just won the Stanley Cup. You can't be mad anymore. Uh, it It's something that has come up. It's funny. It's kind of like an ongoing joke on this show that a random show we'll, we'll do. You know, we do our live shows typically over the summer. Um, I take over. I do stuff like this. But typically we have three hosts, uh, Kurt, Bill, and myself. And it always comes up. We'll be doing a show in January about a uh, talking about a Blues Oilers game coming up the next night, and somehow the Iserman goal comes in, and we <laughs> just we all just kind of bow our heads down. It's uh, why does that always have to come up? You know, it's it, it is it it is seriously for us. Like I'm trying to think the um uh what was the was it the Saints that got screwed this year uh from the yeah, Rams. Yeah. I mean, it, not yeah. saying that we were screwed in any way. It's just like I know that for for Saints fans, if they don't make the playoffs or if they don't go back to a, a championship game, Saints fans, that's what they're going to say. Oh my God, remember that? That's how it is for Blues fans. It is just it's torture to think of that goal. It's your Voldemort. You don't speak the name. That's uh, yeah. that's that's game seven of the 09 finals for us it always comes up we don't know why we don't want to talk about it max talbot never existed <laughs> you yeah, think, I wish he um, do you think <laughs> blues fans hold that moment with such disdain because of how uh, perfectly it was filmed it's such an iconic shot well not just the shot but how it was filmed is so iconic in hockey history do you think if it wasn't filmed in such a way Blues fans may have forgot. Oh, at least a, it wouldn't hurt as much as it does now. No, I, I think it. I mean, yeah, I'm sure that's part. I mean, the part of it is that it's a constant reminder. I mean, you know, whenever you have, uh, you know, NHL Network does a greatest goals in NHL history, that's always one of the ones they show in the top five, if not the top two. The other one being the Bobby Orr goal, which, by the way, was also against St. Louis. That's what um, I was gonna say. That yeah. was the other one. <laughs> yeah. So um, no, I, I think it's also just the fact that, like, you look at how Grant Fuhr, you know, he was the the starting goalie for the team, and you know, I talked about this on the Maple Leaf show that we did. He gets taken out in the first round uh, by Nick Kiprios, and and that was like a dagger, and it was oh my god. And then they still won with John Casey. They still had this team was okay. They can still do it. John Casey's still a capable guy. And I mean, they went seven games with the Red Wings. This was, this was the year the Blues were supposed to win the cup. Um, as, as you mentioned, they had Gretzky, Brett Hall, Chris Pronger in his early years, Al McKinnis, and then just a bunch of, a slew of players that Mike Keenan brought in that had won cups already and were supposed to be kind of the guiding light for all the younger guys that were on the team to, to hey, this is how we're going to win the Cup. This is how we're going to do it in St. Louis. And it was just everyone believed that this was the team once Gretzky came. He was the final piece. And uh, and then, yeah, the the losing Grand Fuhrer hurt, but then going set to overtime. And let's face it, I know that, uh, that you guys will disagree. I've gotten many arguments about this. The goal itself, it was such a weird shot. It was such a, just a, a knuckleball type shot. And, you know, yeah, you could say it's a great goal because of the moment. I mean, the moment it happened. Here, how long will it take to drive to St. Louis? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're, we, we all just looked at each other. We're ready to but keep going. <laughs> so the goal, <laughs> the goal itself 
to me, wasn't a great goal. It was just the moment was big. And John Casey probably could have made that save. But it it just, the way that it came off the stick, the way it fluttered, it was a weird shot to read. And, and so that was just so heartbreaking. And then, like I said, to just see the replay of that goal all the time. It's just, it's a <laughs> dagger. And just constantly reminded Blues fans, yeah, that's the one chance the Blues had, and they didn't get it. Okay, so I'm going to actually take St. Louis's side here for a minute because I'm a John Casey truther on that goal. There is not a damn thing he could have done because Iserman oh, did – absolutely. I agree. Iserman did everything perfect on that shot because there's a couple subtleties that go into that play. I'll disagree on the knuckle puck. That thing was a rocket. <laughs> that puck was flat the whole way. But what happens is because Iserman's a right shot in towards the right side of the ice on an which is relevant. So Casey's moving from his right to left. He's a left-handed catcher. Eiserman puts that up over his blocker, and it's harder for a goalie to get that blocker up quick because he's got a stick there, right? So it's a slow move. His only chance would have been to throw his shoulder into it, but he couldn't throw his shoulder into it because his momentum was taking him the other way because that's where Eiserman was skating. That's a shot so perfect. He could try that 99 more times and not hit it once. That's yeah, probably true. But feels like I was there. I will go so far as to say that that was one of like real time situations, one of the single greatest shots in hockey history. Ugh. Yeah, I know that's <laughs> only like it's only another knife, and your body's just riddled with stab wounds from this thing. But it was just such a perfect shot. Casey could not have done a single goaltenders. Whether they were stand-up goaltenders or butterfly or today's hybrid, nobody could do a thing about that shot. And he did it from the blue line, Jeff. And he stripped the puck from the greatest player of all time. I'm sorry, but not if there's not a a moment in that whole scenario that isn't perfect for Wings fans. I'm really sorry. I you're describing this and I'm like, we don't have anything like that. You have to describe your worst pain so we can understand if you need to like rationalize it for yourself. <laughs> and honestly, if it just makes you feel any better because we're being uh pretty rude bringing it up constantly, just throw out the rest of this interview. Feel free to just throw out the name Max Talbot every randomly oh, yeah. just to get even. I'm we get it. <laughs> I think I think I'm just going to like sit here and just utter to myself, the Blues are Stanley Cup champions. The Blues are Stanley Cup champions. That's and the only way lost, I'll make it through this. And we lost another draft lottery, so you definitely have it up on us right now. <laughs> oh, and we never Man, said. Yeah, that, that, that stinks for you guys. I really thought there was a good chance this year that you guys would get it. I mean, they went on that heater at the end, and that was the difference between them and uh, first overall. I'm going to grab a bottle of water. <laughs> yeah, Ryan needs to cool down. Yeah. Ryan's a little heated now, but uh, yeah, because <laughs> We got so excited because we were very much in team. Let's have the youth progress this year, but also losing is good. And uh, there was a game against the Blues this year. Detroit is up 3 nothing. I think David Prawn scored two or a hat trick to tie the game. And we got so excited. And then Tyler Bertuzzi scored the winner with like two minutes left. And that was, you know, every game I think about because we finished only one point behind New Jersey. And we know how the draft lottery went for them. Yep. I'm still Man. rattled. We've went backwards in every draft lottery since this format was introduced. Good lord. <laughs> everyone. Us in Vancouver. Everyone. I don't feel so bad for Vancouver. Yeah, we didn't get an Elias <laughs> Peterson out of this. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. We were um, uh, sorry, Jeff. I, we never said congratulations and thank you for beating Boston. 
Oh, well, you know, you guys can just join in the bandwagon of all the people that have been on the show to say that. So you're welcome. Basket <laughs> <laughs> no, praise where you have it, my man. It's great, man. I, uh, you know, it's funny because um, I have a, a friend who's a Red Wings fan. And the, and the first thing when the, uh, the I, let's see, the Blues clinched, I think, before the Bruins, right? Um, I, uh, the first thing I heard was, uh, you know, hey, man, the, uh, the it, it, I don't care what it takes. Just beat the Bruins. I hate the Blues, but beat the Bruins. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I think that's how the entire country feels. Um, I think the, I s- the the hockey community's motto for for that series or for most of the playoffs was anyone but Boston. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Yeah, it's. I uh, have three. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, I, I was going to say I have three definitive favorite teams in the NHL. Favorite team is the Detroit Red Wings. Second favorite team is whoever's playing the Leafs. Third favorite team is whoever's playing the Bruins. It's easy. It's simple. <laughs> it's funny. I saw one of those uh, those maps that show like you know who uh, who every team's rooting for in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, it was literally Blues across the board, except for one little spot up in the Northeast, and then one little spot in Northern Illinois where there were some Blackhawks fans, I guess. And like everywhere else, it was all blues. <laughs> Talking about um, the blues, uh, here's a, here's a player who comes up in my head a lot, who I think does not get enough credit, especially considering he used a wood stick. Al McKinnis has a case for the greatest shot from a defenseman of all time, right? Oh, I agree. I, so, I, I think everyone in St. Louis would agree with you and Calgary. I don't even know if I told you this. If you ever go over to my dad's house, there's a stack of uh, pucks in his spare room, all Al McKinnis slap shots because. We're from Kitchener, Ontario, and Al McInnes played his junior hockey for the Kitchener Rangers. Mm-hmm. And my dad had season tickets behind the net, so a lot of deflected McInnes shots came rocketing it up at him in a million miles an hour. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah, he uh, – well, I, shit, talking about Al McInnes, one of my favorite memories, and, and, you know, not anything against Chris Osgood, but he took a slap shot from the red line with about uh, two minutes left in a game <laughs> once. Yeah, and he broke his finger. And I think it was the very next night they played the Blackhawks and he broke Jocelyn Tebow's hand, both on slap shots. And I'm like, holy cow, like, how do you do that? That They're so well padded. Plus, they're he also scored to... on Osgood once from the red line. Yeah, yeah, we know. We remember <laughs> that one. The closest we thing we have know. is Shea Weber, another old Central Division foe, um, but I genuinely believe if you put Al McInnes on today's technology with sticks, oh, he would kill people. <laughs> yeah, he. They, I remember they uh, at the end of his career they tried getting him to use the composite stick, and uh, I think he, he spent one practice with it, came off the ice, and said, "Nope, I'm going to stick with the wood stick." And, and everybody's like, "No, man, you this is going to add some velocity to your shot." He's like, "I don't care, I'm going to stick with the wood." And it's like, man, I, I, just imagine if he would have played with a composite stick. Oh I'm 98% sure whoever gave him the composite stick could have been charged with a war crime had he actually used it. Yeah. <laughs> well, towards the end of his career, they weren't the 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 one piece sticks like we have today. They were the graphite shaft and the graphite blade they had to stick in there. So they weren't as good. But like the, the one piece sticks they have, like the technology they have today, they're getting a little bit better at them not snapping all the time now. Yeah. Yep. You say that, I've broken three in four months. Well, I mean, you just have a stronger shot than Al McInnes is what we're saying. Apparently. That's probably no. true. Yep. Al, Al McInnes was automatic from the blue line. He was the only player short of shit. Like, Shea Weber, you look at him, he he almost has the same thing or had. 
but I remember watching Al McKinnis and thinking, nope, that one's in. I actually had a horrifying thought while you were talking about the two-piece composite sticks. It's one thing to have a puck coming off Al McKinnis's stick at you. But those two-piece sticks came apart often. Can you imagine the blade of Al McKinnis' stick coming at you? That's a oh, that had to be scary. I, I remember one time going to a practice, and, and he was taking slap shots. I mean, granted, there was nobody in the goal. He was just taking shots at one end, and his stick snapped, and I saw his blade literally just twirl through the air and crash against, like, the far wall. And the the sound that it made, I'm like, <laughs> that probably traveled 30 feet, and it still made that noise when it hit the wall. I mean, it was insane. Uh, uh, speaking my, of uh, old composite ahead. sticks, do you guys uh, do you guys ever play with the old Nike sticks? No, oh. like the Apollo? Like the, the white one? Yeah, yeah. I had Apollo? one. Yeah, I had that for a year. That was, yeah. my fa- that was my favorite stick as a defenseman because they had the squared off toe. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, yeah, I was actually was a fan of that. Favorite. It was uh, they were interesting. Uh, they they I, only they didn't last long, but they were interesting. I used it for one year because I hated the square toe. I can't mm. play with it. Yeah. No, I, I understand. It's like I wasn't exactly an offensive defenseman, but like just jamming that toe right up against the board. It was a funny stick. Like it definitely wasn't designed by people who ever played hockey. No. Because balance weird and the blade <laughs> weird, but I liked it. Yeah. That's that was an interesting one. I don't think did that ever make its way to the NHL? Did anybody play no. with those with the square no, no. toe? I was say I don't think so. Uh, some people do play with squared off toes, but what you'll find now is a lot of players will just grind the toe how they want it to be. No, right. there's a, three players that I know for sure use a very square toe. One of them is a Red Wing dude. Philip Heronic uses a square toe. Jacob Truba uses it, and the one that caught me off guard, Mark Stone uses it. Well, Mark Stone has a Mark Stone like that. His his is the one with the weird edge, right? No, his his is oh, that's flat O'Reilly's. at the toes. Yeah, O'Reilly. The weird hook oh. at the end. So obviously, Blues podcast they know that well. But Mark Stone's the square toe, and it's weird because a forward shouldn't use it. But does he? Don't think like I, I. I thought you were saying did the Apollos ever make it to the NHL? But yeah, I guess some players do use a square toe. But I think players just like grind it. However, they right. Oh, sure. what, that is what I meant. The Apollos. I wasn't sure. If they oh made yeah. The NHL no, or the, I don't think the Apollos ever made. I don't think I've ever seen that stick anywhere other than my like double A games or my a pickup hockey league. <laughs> I actually yeah. haven't seen one in 10 years. No. Oh, God, no. I saw somebody uh, who still had the shaft of it hanging up on his wall, and I'm like, holy cow. Like, I haven't seen one of those since I was in high school. They were cool sticks. Orange and white was a cool color scheme. Dude, I was playing pickup with a guy a couple of weeks ago who was using a Coho Revolution. Oh, yeah. That's oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> what are my most I, you... vivid... I was going to say, I love when you still run into those those guys who still wear the OFA helmets. <laughs> they're just doing it for attention at this point oh definitely yeah what, what kind of protection do those things serve good lord none they actually <laughs> enhance the concussion gretzky wore one of those things up until 1999 <laughs> how why one of my most vivid memories might as well just uh, wear a hat yeah <laughs> the, the o2 cup run uh obviously is any right like modern red wings fans one of their greatest memories um that run for a lot of reasons for Red Wings fans was phenomenal. We won't get too far into it because I know this is Blues fans listening, so we're not going to bug you guys down. But uh, it was a five-game series against the Blues, so admittedly, like, it's probably not too fond of a memory for you. But I do remember it being an intense series, and the one game you did win, you won in the funniest fashion because I remember the Blues were on the power play against Detroit in, was it double overtime or single overtime? I can't remember. Um, Uh, I want to say you're right that it was double, but I could be wrong. 
And the, the Blues were on the power play, and they had possession at the point, and they were holding it there for some time. And I I can't remember who was in front of the net. I think you said it was Wait. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just hassling whatever the Red Wings defenseman was. And Dominic Hatch stepped out of his net for a hot second to give a jab to the back, and then, bam, they banked it right in from the point, and St. Louis won their only game in the series. And I remember just looking at the screen going, God damn it, Dominic. Yeah, that I remember that very well because I remember the I want to say the Red Wings kind of dominated that game. And I was like, man, I can't believe the Blues are in this spot where they could win this. And then that happened and no whistle. And, and I remember being like just watching the game going, oh, my God, shoot the puck, shoot the damn <laughs> puck. And and then they did. I don't remember who it was, but I think it was, you're right. I think it was a defenseman. And uh, yeah. And then I was like, that counts. That counts. You know, it, it was just the place goes crazy because it was in St. Louis and. Um, wow. yeah, and I remember Hashik like throwing his arms in the air and it's like, come on, man, you're the one that skated out to try and slash someone like they're not going to yeah, blow the whistle because you decided to leave the net. Do I have this wrong? I think I might have this wrong because I'm looking this up and in 02, the Blues beat the Red Wings 6-1 in game three and that was their only win. Was it just a goal that they scored then? It wasn't an overtime goal? So we decided we're actually going to cut here and uh, try and find out when this game was because it actually was not uh, in the playoffs as we originally thought. So by the magic of podcasts, you're not even going to notice that we're going to cut right here. And we're back, and it turns out that this was April 13th, 2002, the last game of the regular season. So uh, you were not wrong in saying that it was in 2002, it was just not in the playoffs, and it was Chris Pronger that scored the big goal against Dominic Hasek. It was always Chris Pronger against Detroit. Always. You're talking about a guy who's a pain in the ass. Red Wings fans will almost... There's there's guys throughout history, Corey Perry, Scott Niedermeyer. Uh, you'll pick out like Brad Marchand if you're picking more recently. But one of the most prevalent villains for Red Wings fans is Chris Pronger. It's funny you say that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people would agree with you from a lot of teams. He was one of the toughest guys to ever play against in the NHL. But uh, one player that he battled a lot and that I just could not stand, a guy in front of the net, Tomas Holmstrom. That oh. guy drove me up a wall because he would be knocked around, knocked around, and then he would take a swing, and then, you know, somebody would take a swing back, that player would get penalized, and then Holmstrom would score on the power play. I mean, it was <laughs> clockwork. It drove me crazy. Did you know that uh, Tomas Holmstrom had custom pads that were, like, triple layered and bulked up because of how many cross-checks he took to the back and shoulders? Oh, I'm not surprised. I mean, he drove defensemen nuts. Yeah, that's why he looks so big. He's actually not a big guy. He's pretty, like, slim or slender, but he just, like, that was his role, and he did it so well that he was like, yeah, might as well suit up for this and it's funny that you say that because we're biased as Red Wings fans and we can count on a hundred hands and feet how many goals have been called back that shouldn't have because of Tomas Holmstrom's uh, (laughs) reputation admittedly I can see how he I played defense and so I was watching him and I I, all I could think was oh man I would hate to play against this guy this looks like (laughs) yeah Yeah, he was he was public enemy number number one for me when he was with the Red Wings. Man, he drove me nuts. I mean, there was a lot of guys the the grind line that that I really didn't like. But man, Holmstrom, he was on a, a level all zone. I mean, you could you know Fedorov, Iserman, all those guys. You'd hate them because they were good. And Lidstrom, 
Holmstrom, Holmstrom, not only was he good, he was such a dick. And, oh, <laughs> God, I just hated playing against him. But, hey, you know what? He's one of those guys, and when he's on your team, you want him playing. You want him out there. Oh, yeah. That, that was a glory days because you're saying this, and I'm like, really? People hate Holmstrom? And I'm thinking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can see why. <laughs> I, I will not. I will hear nary a bad word about Nick Litstrom ever, though. So, oh, never, dude. I, you know, what's funny is uh, when I was a kid, I had a uh, statue of him, like a little mini statue, up in my room. As everyone should. And yeah, and I actually, I had an X uh, taped over the the Detroit Red Wing uh, winged wheel because <laughs> I'm like, I, I got, I love Litstrom. I want him in my room, but I cannot have a Red Wings logo in my room. All right, Jeff, you're uh, you're an outside unbiased observer. All-time greatest defenseman, where do you rank Lidstrom? Oh, I This has been an argument I've had with a few people. Um it's it's hard for me to not put him in the top 2. Thank you. Look yeah. at that. Best friend. All we needed. That's all Thanks, we needed. Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Show's over. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's it. Thanks well, for having I, us, Blue uh... fans. Man, I gotta say, like uh, uh, he, the how many Norris Trophy he he won, and then just the way he commanded a game. I mean, there was multiple times where, and, and people talk about, oh, you know, good teams don't get hemmed in their zone. Bullshit. The the Red Wings, plenty of times, even in their heyday, would get hemmed in their own zone. But the minute you put Listrom out there, he would take control of the game and he would slow it down. He'd get the puck to the offense, get it out of the zone, do whatever he had to do. Uh, just Truly one of the greatest players to ever play in the NHL, and I don't think he gets enough credit. And then you think he didn't win his first Norris Trophy until after the age of 30. That's and crazy. he won seven. That's insane. One hell of a player. Uh, I think, uh, you know, and then that was a guy, too. Like, I remember when, when Iserman was around, it was, you know, Lidstrom anywhere else is a surefire captain. I mean, to me, those are two of the greatest leaders we've seen in the NHL, but, but because of Steve Eiserman being so great, you know, we didn't see that in Lidstrom, I think until he retired at least uh, around the NHL. I don't know how it was in Detroit, but that's how it was. Yeah. Lidstrom got the C in 06, I believe. Yeah. We've been spoiled. I can't think of a, a, a captain we've ever had or will have in Larkin that hasn't been the perfect captain at the time for the team. Yeah. You guys have had some good ones for sure. Uh, yeah, I was born in is... 1987, and we've had three. Ah, <laughs> that's crazy to think about. Holy cow. I can't even begin to tell you how many captains the Blues have had in my lifetime. <laughs> Shit, Shane, had, Corson. Uh, Shane Corson. I want to say Garth Butcher was a captain for like five minutes. Yep, <laughs> in the early 90s, I think you're right. Sweet yep. yep. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, those, those were some fun years. Um, so again, let, you know, let's talk a little bit about, uh, uh, Steve Eiserman. So he's a guy again in St. Louis, you look at the, the years he's had against the blues and I don't have the career numbers he has against the blues, but I, I can tell you they're good, especially in the playoffs. Um, he just seemed to always be a guy that could just command the game. He'd score a big goal. I mean, obviously the, the, the 96 goal comes to mind, but, but even in that series, um, he had six goals in that series, 11 points. Uh, so it wasn't just that game there, the series clincher. Um, you know, he's had some great, great series against the Blues. Against, again, in 98, he had seven assists and nine points. Um, just a guy that drove Blues fans crazy, but in a way, not like Holmstrom, not like Maltby, 
a guy that just uh, just always came to work, always performed as as best as he could. Um, I know his legacy in Detroit is just great. I mean, I know he's a beloved figure, but I wanted to ask you guys him coming back and him being the uh, named the GM this year. How exciting is that for for everyone in Detroit? Ryan, I'll let you take this one, buddy. Yeah. Uh, so for a long period of time, um, just to give you some context, when Eisenman first announced that he'd be stepping down as general manager, that was in the summer. And so I would say that it was about July, August of last year. And every host or guest host, guest star that we had on the show, doesn't matter whether they were Red Wings related, related, you know, they were rugby fans or what have you. Every time I would ask them, is Eisenman coming back to home to Detroit, or do you choose to be wrong? That's how I would present that question. <laughs> and I, like, I often am very pointed, though, when we do the podcast, we, we make sure that we are not pretending that we're not Red Wings fans, but handling things objectively and trying to deliver, you know, candid, objective, real information, analysis, insight for the fans and listeners so they can feel like they're hanging out and talking to, to fellow Red Wings fans. But not someone's going to uh, bullshit them. You know, pardon the language, but like someone, like there's a lot of homers out there. But with Eisenman, the, how much he meant means to the city and the organization, especially considering the decade that this team has had, it just transcended everything that has happened. Like it was just such a magical moment. If you, just to, to something that you might be familiar with, I think our Twitter followers, all of our accounts fall, jumped up like 200 that day. Um, like all of like, we would just throw out the, we would just tweet out like, I'm so happy Steve Eiserman is home. A thousand likes. Like everyone was elated. <laughs> it's like the city had new life. And you even look like the minutia of what he's been doing. He's been making good moves. And I, I do like what he's been doing. Hasn't been vastly different than what Ken Holland was doing towards the end, but just the, the representation of change and finally something was different and it was like the golden boy coming home. Here, I, I've been talking too much, Jeff. It was the uh, Eisenman goal against Gretzky or when he stripped the puck from Gretzky uh, manifested in the uh, GM coming home situation. Does that make sense? That's what it was to us. It was just perfect. Uh, Blues are Stanley Cup champions. Blues are Stanley yeah. Cup champions. Okay. <laughs> I feel a little better. I'm, I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, uh, no, in, again, I know that it's easy for us to sit here and say that, uh, you know, blues fans quote unquote hated Steve Eiserman, but there's always that respect there. And I'm sure, you know, obviously the situation is a little different because Brett Hall ended up coming and playing for the Red Wings and winning a Stanley cup there. But I'm sure if you talk to a Red Wings fan in the, uh, late nineties, it was, yeah, I hate Brett Hall, but God damn, I respect him as a hockey player. You know, I think it was the same yeah. thing. For Steve Eiserman, I mean, just around the league, even Blackhawks fans, uh, you know, Predators fans, and and now any anybody uh, who who kind of saw the Red Wings get in their team's way would probably always say that Steve Eiserman is just because it's not he was never a, a, a he wasn't an asshole he wasn't a Tomas Holmstrom he wasn't a, a grind line member he was a guy that just always just seemed to come ready to work uh, whether it was playing defensive hockey playing. Uh, you know, scoring a big goal, uh, just being a leader. Um, you know, you think of the, you know, people compare Jonathan Taves to him as uh, as a great leader. I I put Steve Eiserman in a class all his own. I mean, him and, and maybe Mark Messier, maybe Wayne Gretzky, in terms of, of the best leaders we've seen in the NHL. And again, Nicholas Lidstrom. You guys have 
you're right. You have been very spoiled with the types of captains you guys have had in Detroit. Don't worry. We're paying for it now. <laughs> yeah, we had Eric Brewer. So, yeah, I know how it goes. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you guys again. Uh, you guys were obviously the, the Red Wings since the Penguins in the early 90s. Uh, won back-to-back uh, championships there in 97-98. Of course, they went through the Blues to get there both years. But um, I, I know that uh, you guys are, are younger fellas like uh, like me. At least I like to consider myself younger. Uh, Red Wings uh, won their first cup in 97, uh, first since 1955. Um, I know that obviously, again, you guys have, have seen a 98 team, a 2002 team, and uh, one in 08, I believe it was. Uh, so there's been a lot of Red Wings championships, but is there a, a, a different kind of pedestal, a higher level for that first 97 team since they were the first one to bring the cup back to Detroit since the fifties? Oh, the 97 one was definitely different and special. And it wasn't even just that it was such a long gap between cups. Cause again, I was 10 years old when they, when they won that cup, but it was, Everything that led up to it, because the Red Wings really started to turn it around in the early 90s. It's not like Chicago in the 2000s where they got good in 2008 and then won a cup in 2010. The Red Wings were supposed to make a bunch of runs before they did. They In 93, they lose that game seven in overtime to Toronto. 94, they get upset by the San Jose Sharks. 95, they finally get to the cup finals, get swept by New Jersey. 96, Set the NHL record for most wins in a season. Don't even make the finals. The Red Wings in the mid-90s were viewed like the San Jose Sharks have been for the last little while. Just like, why haven't you done it yet? You should have done this twice by now. So not only did we have that huge gap between us, it was just that relief. Now everybody can get off our back. Get it. The stress is gone. The angst is gone. Like even 10-year-old me had anxiety going into those playoffs. (laughs) So it was it was a huge relief on top of the massive celebration that it was. So I want to ask you guys, too, uh, one thing I know I need to ask you because I've got uh, uh, people who said, hey, we talked to Red Wings, guys. Make sure you mention this. Uh, and, of course, that is the uh, the brawl. Shovel Day versus Joseph. Blues fans know it as, here comes Shovel Day, as the Blues announcer <laughs> Ken Wilson said. Uh, January 23rd, 1993. Again, we were all young. We we probably, uh, I'm sure I, we don't remember seeing this live. Uh, at least I know I don't. I've I've just watched the YouTube clip about 400 times in my life. Um, so I want to ask you guys, the Shovel Day Joseph fight, is that something that, uh, that Red Wings fans kind of like to remember, or is that just a St. Louis thing? Um. Because Joseph be did, he did handedly win that fight. It's <laughs> the same answer that we gave for another question earlier. Any Red Wings fan, they have memories of it, but the fact that not too long after, relatively speaking, we had Chris Osgood versus Patrick Waugh and Mike Vernon versus Patrick Waugh in two of the biggest brawls in hockey history. Yeah. It, it just gets overshadowed. And again, given that Shevel Day wasn't, uh, air quotations, Red Wings legend, and he handedly lost the fight, and it wasn't quite the rivalry that the Detroit-Colorado one. It does tend to get overlooked, 
But um, most Red Wing fans who are, I'd say, north of 30 at least remember it and can talk to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's one that Blues fans bring up a lot. In fact, in um, in the intro of the show, we'll have the uh, call from Ken Wilson saying, here comes Shovel Day, because that is a... <laughs> That is a big moment. It's it's funny because you know we talk uh, we talked before the Blues won the Cup this year about you know greatest Blues moments. It's funny when you think about it because in '86 the Blues had uh, something called the Monday Night Miracle where um, they came back against in Game Six Calgary against Calgary. Yep, yeah, and uh, and they but they ended up that's a losing series. They lost in Game Seven, and it's and that is like the highest moment in blues history. And it's like, that wasn't even a series win. And then, Hold you know, on. then Doug we... Wickenheiser scored the OT winner. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Look at you. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I was remembering the right game. He's, <laughs> our, he's our resident here. That's pretty impressive. Uh, the fact but that you know, Doug Wickenheiser, good for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and then, but this is another moment where like, it's funny because, you know, you, you think back to, you know, uh, okay, well, what was well, another big blues moment? You think, you think, well, there's this awesome goalie fight once like, really, <laughs> that that's going to be something you're going to mention within like the top five plays in blues history. But it's just one of those things, you know, pe- people here in St. Louis that we've kind of, uh, become a city that who's, uh, uh, love the, the blue collar type players, uh, the Tony Twist, the Kelly Chase. So, of course, we're going to love the fights. And uh, that's one that stands out as a, as a fight. Because Shevel Day, I don't know if you guys remember it, There, it was clear that he had a pretty swollen black eye after the fight. And he stayed in the net. They Even in the pixelated, bad type of TV we had back then, you can see it through his mask that he has got a huge welt next to his right eye. And I'm like, and he's going to stay in the, in the net. Well, good for him. So it, it's, it is remembered very fondly in blues lore, but uh, yeah, you guys are right. It, I'm sure it's easily overshadowed by the, uh, the Patrick wall massacres. Yeah. It's again, I feel bad. Like, I feel like the, the, the douchebag in high school who's talking to the nerd kid who's cool <laughs> for the first time. And it's just like, I'm a douchebag for even saying it like that, <laughs> but it's like, you guys just won your first cup and I'm so happy for you that you did because you no longer have to look at that fight as a high moment because you can count probably 20 of those going, but picking any five year span from 1988 onwards. Yeah. Like 20 of those situations that Red Wings fans wouldn't even remember, even the ones with the best memories. So you're, you're starting to stock your cupboards with better memories. You're now in your era of like your, your Tarasenko's who you're going to be remembering 15 years, 20 years from now, not uh, the, a, a goalie fight or a, a huge game winner in a series that you ended up losing. And you can remember Ryan O'Reilly for more than trying to than trying to create his own drive through to Tim Hortons. Yes, I love Ryan O'Reilly, man. I love Ryan He's, O'Reilly so much. Don't drink and drive. Hero. He's he is a folk hero now for for the way he's turned his career around. And, and yeah, I. Uh, I, we love him here in St. Louis, and and it's beautiful too because, like you said, we we're gonna be, we're creating our own memories now. I mean, you look back at this last playoff run and even this regular season run. There's probably five or six already that 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 trump a lot of these memories we have. I mean, I I put Game Seven against Boston ahead of the Monday Night Miracle. I mean, that was unreal to see them do that. So, I would hope so. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's just funny because like. I could probably tell you right now five five things come to the bo- the top of my mind 
that are probably the biggest moments in Blues history, and all from this last year. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive, and, and it, I guess it does kind of go to show, you know, the uh, the sadness of the Blues' past. Like, not to continue to dump on the point, <laughs> but, like, when you were talking about memorable St. Louis ones, everything that came to my head was when the Blues were on the losing end. Like, I'm like, what was one? Oh, right, Owen Nolan on Roman Turek. Yeah, they probably uh, don't remember that one. Hey, you had you, Pierre Turgeon in Game 7 against Arizona. Phoenix back then, at least. That's true. It's funny you bring up the Owen Nolan one. That's the only one for me personally that might be worse than the uh, Iserman goal. Um, That was on my birthday, my 15th birthday. Uh, My dad had taken me to the game. He uh, spent a lot of money to get me six rows off the ice, and we were right behind Turek when that happened. So, yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. That was rough. That was uh, that was one of the water. So when you say that, I'm like, oh, of course he brings that one up too. Fun <laughs> <laughs> um, little facts. We just did uh, the reason we were actually we made is we were recording uh, uh, an exclusive episode for our supporters, our Patreon supporters, and we just did like a jersey ranking. We made like arbitrary tiers. We had an elite tier, and St. Louis's uh, third jerseys are firmly in the elite tier. That's great. Hey, you know what? I will say this, and I think uh, a lot of Blues fans get mad at me when I say this kind of thing. My favorite jerseys in the NHL are the Red Wings and the Blackhawks, just because they're so iconic. They haven't changed over the years, and they're so simple in terms of just beautiful stripes. It, it's just it works, and uh, so yeah, you got some mutual respect on jerseys there. I'm with you. Yeah, you're just objectively right saying that. Like, we don't love the like. Red Wing, if you're a Red Wings fan, you you love to hate the Hawks, and we acknowledge that, and we put them right up there as well. Yeah, it's yep. good company that we have. And I'm yep. happy that you guys, like, when those thirds came out, I was just like, oh, that is just such perfect execution, and I'm so happy that Tarasenko gets to wear these. I'm so happy that O'Reilly gets to wear these. And speaking of Tarasenko, like, when Tarasenko was coming into the league, your Red Wings fans with a little bit of foresight could see what was to come, right? So we knew we wouldn't be competing very much. Carl Quincy didn't. No. Um, you know, that 2013 <laughs> where we almost beat the Blackhawks and then DeKaiser broke his thumb. Um, that was our last little vestige of, of success. But Tarasenko came into the league as kind of as Datsuk was going out. And I thought, this is the closest thing we have to Datsuk right now. Like that guy is, when he's on, he is just a freak of nature to watch. Yeah. No, it's, and it's, it, that's why in 2018, I mean, literally the calendar year of 2018 was so bad for him. And it was, I mean, that's why so many people thought, has he just hit a wall? Is he done? Because it was the entire year. And then, you know, 2017 ended, boom, having trouble. 2019 starts, he's back to being Vladimir Tarasenko. So he's he definitely is a guy who is just so much fun to watch, the way he can command a, an offense. I mean, he uh, he comes in on a two-on-one. You know he's going to shoot. So the defenseman plays him like he's going to shoot. The goalie plays him like he's going to shoot, and he still scores a goal. I mean, it's it's crazy how he can still just always find ways to put the puck in the back of the net, and you're right. Um, you know, Dotsuk, I think, was a little bit more of a complete player, but when Dotsuk skated in on the wing with the puck, I mean, you knew that puck was going to somehow end up in the back of the net, and that's how it has been with Tarasenko, uh, at least uh, in the 2019 calendar year. I, if I don't have, like, I, I might be just misremembering this, because I really like him as a player, but I'm pretty sure, like on the list of like players who terrorize the Red Wings, Tarasenko is pretty high up that list. Like he just constantly walks the Red Wings. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, somebody calling him a, a red wing killer. So, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, it's nice to have one of those again because we haven't had one of those in a while. Yeah, it's not overly elite company these days. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. It's pretty much guys who terrorize Jimmy Howard and the group of scripts that he has around him in a given night. <laughs> is Jimmy Howard, is he, he's a free agent still, isn't he? Uh, extended one year. Yeah. Extended one year. That's right. Okay. What are your thoughts on him? I know, uh, I know he, he was kind of overpaid there, but, um, but you know, obviously he's, uh, worth keeping around. What are the thoughts on Jimmy Howard there? He would be an upper tier NHL goalie. And when I say upper tier, I mean top 15, if he had anything that resembled the defense in front of him. I've always liked him. Man, I I caught a lot of flack for liking him uh, when the Red Wings were still in our division. And uh, I think he's a solid goalie. I'm with you. So so hearing you say that, at least I know I'm not crazy. Yeah, he honestly wasn't even overpaid. Like, he performed really like – he dragged the Red Wings – shallow corpse to the playoffs on more than one occasion and he like he had seasons where he was playing Vezina quality hockey at one point and people don't like when I say this because they're like ah oh, it's just half a season halfway through the season he was on pace to break Martin Brodeur's win record and then he broke his hand oh like, yeah he is a when he's on he is a freakishly good goalie he does have a little bit of a problem with the mental game when he gets in his own head he does but um it's almost it's going to be a sad story because he'll be one of the most prolific but under-recognized goalies in Red Wings history um, because his job, instead of was winning cups, was just <laughs> defending what was left of the team and doing way too much, way more than this, the city deserved or the team deserved. Right. Well, guys, uh, this has been awesome. I uh, really appreciate you guys coming on. And again, I've only had to remind myself a few times the blues won the stanley cup in 2019 during this talk so if the blues would have lost i think that uh that would have gone a whole different direction yeah i i'm happy that you guys won because you beat boston because i, I i'm you know the red wings aren't in the central anymore so it was nice to see them win their first cup and it removes a little bit of a guilt uh for every time i say gretzky had it lost it <laughs> You know, I I would uh, I would argue that uh, Gretzky and that was not picked. He just gave the puck away. That's the way I see that play. That was oh, a yeah. bad I mean, play on Gretzky's part. We can go back and review the tape if you want get, to. Get two hands on the stick, Wayne. Come on, man. You phoned <laughs> it in one hand, and that was that. Go back to Pee Wee Wayne. Come on, buddy. Yeah. Thanks so much <laughs> for having us, Jeff. We really appreciate it. We'll have you on the Winged Wheel podcast someday. No, that'd be great. And uh, but I want to make sure, um, if, in case there are any Red Wings fans listening or anybody who wants to learn more about the Red Wings, uh, how they can find your show, how they can interact with you on social media, and anything else you guys like to plug. Yeah, uh, WingedWheelPodcast dot com is the easiest way to find it. We uh, built that site so you can find everywhere, uh, everywhere where we we're on social media. That was terrible. That's why we have a, a we have a voiceover doing this for me. Wingedwheelpodcast.com at wingedwheelpod on Twitter. And then if you go to the links in the bio, uh, you can follow all of our main accounts. Uh, much like Jeff, we're all huge hockey nerds. We talk mainly about Detroit, but hockey in general. So uh, if you like hockey, you like uh, opinions, give us a follow and uh, yeah, chat with us. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Well, again, a big thanks goes out to Ryan, Brad, and Evan, uh, Winged Wheel Podcast. Great guys, great show, and uh, I, I think we'll be having them on again sometime, maybe if the uh, the Blues and Red Wings 
meet up before one of our live shows. Maybe we'll uh, get them back on because they were they were really fun to talk to. Twitter handles for this show. You can find us on Twitter at LGB Radio. Kurt Price is at Kurt Price. Bill Days at Billy Blue Note. And myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at jponder94. Our next episode, uh, it's it's a little up in the air right now. So if you look at the schedule that I've been posting on Twitter, uh, it's the uh, the next episode is set to air Thursday, September 19th. Carl Pavlock of Five for Howling, which is a, a great uh, Coyotes website. He comes on to talk about blues and uh, and Coyotes history. But there has been some talk with uh, Kurt and Bill. We might be doing a live show. Uh, and if we do, that'll be on Wednesday, September 18th. And uh, about 9.15, 9.30-ish, uh, Central Daylight Time, p.m. And that would, if that happens, that will push the next Behind Enemy Lines episode to Saturday, which is uh, September 21st. So, uh, and then the next week we'll, we'll talk about when that show airs. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's We're not sure if it's going to happen this week. If it doesn't happen this week, it'll probably happen next week. But, uh, again, so we might have a live show. Stay tuned to us on social media. Uh, because we love having listener participation for those of you who uh, maybe not, uh, maybe are new to Let's Go Blues Radio this summer. This is typically not what our shows are like. So, uh, yeah, just tune in uh, for that if you can. If we do it, Wednesday, September 18th, live show, Kurt and Bill. And again, uh, that is up in the air. But if it happens, it will be that day. Uh, and if that happens, that means the next Behind Enemy Lines episode, which will be the Coyotes, will air on Saturday, September 21st. If there's no live show, Thursday, September 19th is when that will air uh, as the schedule that I've been posting says. Did you get all that? I think you got all of it. Well, that will conclude this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, everyone, let's go Blues. Play Gloria! Thanks for listening to the Hockey Show Blues Report of the Week. Have a great day. 